But that engine light comes on. And some people, they just drive on down the road, no big deal. Uh, next day, they probably <laughs> aren't driving anywhere. Well, that's what this is all about. It's, it's like that check engine light on a car. It's that flashing warning from God. It's, it's opening up our, our hearts and our understanding of the direction and what God wants us to do. Yes, in the prophecies, he's showing forth to, to Judah what's going to happen in the future. And you know this is a dual prophecy, so some of it applies to uh, when Babylon was coming in and, and taking over the land and taking the people captivity into captivity. But it also has to do with that day of the Lord when uh, he finishes up, finishes the whole thing. And the tribulation, uh, the rapture, all of that battle of Armageddon, the whole thing when he puts it all together and comes down in judgment. What he's got is a check engine light for us tonight. And we're going to start in verse number 12. And we're only going to do a few verses because there's, there's a lot to get to here. But in verse number 12, the Bible says in, in chapter 2 and verse 12, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth, or who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders, gather the children, and those that suck the breasts. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Father, help us to understand this tonight. Help us to get a hold of what you're trying to convey, the truths of your scriptures to us. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse number 12, he starts out and he says, therefore, always, always, always stop and think about what it's, what's he saying? What, what, what's therefore, therefore? All of what he's been talking about, all of what we've, we've mentioned before, the, he goes back to the locust invasion and all the devastation and there's no grass and there's no trees and the animals are, have died and all of this because there is no food and they have nothing, not so much as even to bring an offering to the house of God, to the Lord. They have no wine, they have no oil, they have no, nothing, no medicine, no nothing. The pleasure is gone. He says, therefore. This is the way of escape that he's going to tell us. Therefore, 
Also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. He said, because of my promise that I am going to judge Judah. He said, Judah, this is what I want you to do. As we know that the prophecy not only is to Judah, but it goes further in the day of the Lord. And that prophecy is to us as well. So he's wanting us to do these things. We know the promise of God. God has promised judgment. The lost will be cast into hell. Those that are saved will go into the millennial reign. When all of that is finished up. But he said, therefore, because of my promises of judgment and the destruction is coming, he said, saith the Lord, this is not Joel's idea. This is not the preacher's idea. This is not somebody else. Grandma and grandpa didn't come up with this. This is God's word. And he said, based on my promise, thus saith the Lord. I'm commanding you to do something. And this is in the command uh, mode here. He says, turn ye even to me. I think there's 12. I got, I got a whole list back here that I've just printed out for myself because it was so good. In chapter 2 and verse 1, he said, blow and sound an alarm. Chapter 2, verse 12, turn to me. Verse 13, rend your heart. Verse 13, turn to the Lord. Verse 15, blow that trumpet. Verse 15, sanctify a fast. Verse 15, call an assembly. Verse 16, gather the people. Verse 16, sanctify the congregation. Verse 16, assemble the elders. And verse 16 again, gather the children. Just in this chapter alone, 11 times, he gives us a command. This is not a good idea. This is not a suggestion. It is a command from Almighty God. He said, I'm the one that said this. He says, turn ye even to me. It means to return or to go back, to do again or to change. It's both in conduct and mind. We have to change our minds, our thinking, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that we can do what God says. It's one thing to, to try to do something, but if your mind's not in it, it won't be long. It's like these New Year's revolu revolutions. They're pretty revolutionary. They don't last long. But when your heart, when the inside is changed, when the mind is changed, then the actions will follow right below it. The word turn here is very interesting. I went through and I counted them myself. There's 122 verses in Jeremiah where he says turn. That's Some verses he uses multiple times, but... 122 times I counted, he said, turn. You think he's trying to get something across to us? Turn ye even to me. He says, with all of your heart. Uh, remember what the, 
he said, I want you to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. That's going to come back and bite us later. He, he, he just didn't throw that out and forgot all about it. It's still there. And it, this judgment and stuff is going to be based on it. And he says, I want you to turn unto me with all thine heart. Now, the rest of this can be faked. He said, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. I know people that are lost at fast. I, I know people over in Africa where you have somebody that's died and they'll pay mourners. And they'll come in and they'll, and they'll ooh and all and cry. And, oh, I'm telling you, they'll raise a big, big ruckus. And they don't even know the person. They don't care nothing about them. But they're paid mourners. You can fake this. But what God's trying to bring out here, he says, notice in verse number 13, he says, and rend your heart and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. He said, rend your heart. Not superficially, but inwardly. You can, you can put on a facade, but he said, well, I'm not talking about this facade thing. He said, I'm talking about the inward thing. I want you to rend your heart spiritually, not, not just in a fleshly manner. I remember, is Shane here? I don't know if you remember this, but you were sitting at the table on Thanksgiving in Embarada, and we had your family over for Thanksgiving meal. And we had a little table because of our big table, there wasn't much room around it. So uh, the adults sat there and we had a couple of the kids sitting over there. And Shane, bless his heart, his brother, Stanley, that was here, they're sitting right across from each other at this little bitty old table. And I'm kind of watching, just enjoying my grandkids and everything. And Shane picks up a stick. I don't know where he got it. He must have carried it in from playing outside. And he looked at Stanley across the table. And he said, sorry. Boom. <laughs> kind of after the fact, son. You're getting the cart before the horse. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. That was superficial. He, did, he wasn't sorry at all. If he's sorry, he wouldn't have whacked him. I thought it was kind of funny at the time, but you see, the heart affects the actions. When you rend your heart, the rest of your body and everything else is going to change as well. You can tell a lot by a man's heart. I can tell you when kids, when teenagers start listening to rock music and things like this, that changes in their attitude, their attitude toward their parents. It changes in their dress styles and, and, and all of this. You can see the progression and you can tell that, that rebellion is there. He said, I want you to rend your heart and all these other things will follow. He said, not your garments. The, the Hebrew custom of rending or, or tearing one's clothes, 
It was an outward expression of, of deep sorrow. Uh, some tragedy has come and they would rend their garment. They literally rip them. Uh, even today, now they do it a little more sophisticated. They do it with scissors and stuff and they'll cut their tie or they'll cut their shirt and, and through the burial ceremony and all that, they have to keep that same shirt ripped and, uh, which it's just an outward ceremony. But when something tragic would come, they would sometimes they would have a, a a big cloth and they would reach down and they'd rip it, uh, but most of the time they'd grab their 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 garment and they would literally rip it, rending the garment. That outward expression. The priest was not ever allowed to rend his garment. In Leviticus 21 and verse 10, it says this, And he that is the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor rend his clothes. He was not allowed, even when, when uh, um, first high priest, Aaron, when Aaron went in and, and his son was killed, God killed him, he was not allowed to cry. He wasn't allowed to, to weep. He wasn't allowed to rend his garment or anything or show that outward emotion. Why? He was the priest. He was the high priest. You see, there's things that are expected of people when they get into positions and office that other people don't realize. God puts you in a different category. And expects different, a different level uh, of things. But what about Caiaphas? Caiaphas was the high priest. It says in, in Matthew 26 and six, verse 65, it says, Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy, talking about Jesus. What further need have we of, uh, of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard his blasphemy. All he said is, son of man's coming in the clouds. Is that blasphemy? Did he use to take the name of God in vain? No. But several times in the Old Testament, it talks about and relates Jehovah God coming in the clouds. And he was so shocked when Jesus was literally claiming before him to be God, Jehovah God. He didn't have to mention a name. He knew who he was referring to. And it so set him back that he ripped his clothes, which means what? Now he is no longer the high priest. He has disqualified him from the office of being a high priest. Why? Because the high priest represented an unblemished perfection of God. He was the picture. That outward. I believe with this action, he not only disqualified himself from being the high priest, the priesthood was then transferred to Jesus Christ. 
And he became the high priest. And at that point, he fulfills the Levitical priesthood system. He finishes it. And that's why as he hangs on the cross, as the high priest, they could not rend his garment. But he said, it is finished. And when he said, it is finished, God rent the veil of the temple in half. But it wasn't just the temple that was rent. Hebrews 10.20 says, By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, which is to say his flesh. He presented himself as that sacrifice. He rent his flesh, not just his veil. Sin is so horrible, so terrible, that God allowed himself to be ripped, ripped to pieces for you and me. From that point, the Old Testament sacrificial system ceased. And now the transfer into that New Testament system begins. God wants a true, not an outward sacrificial system. God does not want just somebody going through the motions. And that's why twice he says here, he says, with all your heart. And he says, rend your heart. We have to tear our hearts apart. Why? Because they're hardened. If I ask you, do you need revival? I wonder, don't, show your, don't raise your hands, but if I ask you how many of you need revival, you, not your husband, not your wife, not your kids, you, would you say yes? And if you say yes, then why haven't you been revived? Why have you not confessed that sin? Why have you not got it right? It's because our hearts have not been rent. Our hearts are, are hard. Our hearts are cold much more than we would like to admit as independent fundamental sin, hate, and washing the blood Baptists. We, it's easy to poke our fingers at, at other religions. But we need to look inside. That warning light is going off. God wants true heart repentance. Not just empty words. Not just empty actions. Notice in that verse he talks about being gracious and merciful. It's interesting. What he does is he begins to, after he tells us to turn back to him and rend our hearts, he bases that and tells us, about the very character of Almighty God. Notice what he said. Faith, which is grace. Grace and mercy. And, and we, we think we understand it. I don't think we really do. 
But it, this character of God, he says in verse Matthew chapter 12, and verse number 7, he said, but if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He said, you would, have, uh, you would not have condemned the guiltless. If you would have understood, Judah, the, this, this concept that he's talking about here, he said, I would rather have mercy and not sacrifice. God's not wanting to judge anybody. God's not wanting to pour his wrath out on anybody. God's not wanting to punish anyone. Why? He is a merciful God, and that's what he tells us. Rend your hearts. Why? Because we have a merciful God. He does not punish us when, when, when he should punish us. And he gives us grace. People say, well, the Old Testament, that was, that was the age of the law, and the New Testament was the age of grace. No, it wasn't. It has been the age of grace since, since the beginning of time. Why do I say that? How do you get saved? By grace through faith. How did Abraham get saved? By grace through faith. Grace was given by God ever since uh, Adam and Eve and all the way through. He put the law there. Why? Because our hearts were so hard that we didn't recognize sin anymore. That it might be exceeding sinful. We might really see ourselves. And that's what he's trying to tell us here. God doesn't want to punish us. He, he, he does not want ceremonies. He doesn't just want works and things of this and that. He wants true repentance. That's why Matthew 3, 8, he says, Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. You see, when we truly repent, what, what happens to the outside? It follows. There will be a change in our life. Well, you kids, when you say you're sorry, your parents will know when, if you're sorry or not. I remember my boys, and they, I mean, I'd whoop the fire out of them, and then they'd, uh, we'd pray together and everything, and uh, you, you'd tell him you're sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'd say, back over my knee, son. Why? They weren't sorry. They said it, but it was just simply outward, and that's what we do with God. That's why people come to the altar over and 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 over, and you see nothing change in their life. They come to service after service, hear great preaching, God speaks to hearts, but there's no change. And God said, that's not what I want. He said, I want you to turn to the Lord, he says. Turn to the Lord. Uh, we're the ones that have moved, not God. We're the ones that need to turn back to him. He doesn't need to turn to us. He's, there. He's the same place he always was. He says, verse, in verse 13, he uses the word for. 
The term here is because. Because he is. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We say he is, but really he is not in many Christian lives. If he is, then we will do what he says. We'll obey his command. And he said, his commands are not grievous to the believer. So, he is gracious, giving that grace, that unmerited favor. He's merciful, not given punishment when he can. He said he's slow to anger over and over, verse after verse, as I read through the book of Joel, I see the long-suffering of God. And as God breaks my heart for myself, I thank God for his long suffering. Because some of us are pretty hard-headed. And I stand at the head of the line. He said, slow to anger of great kindness. God wants to bless us. He really does. He wants to bless us. And then he repenteth himself of the evil. God tells us that he will repent. Now, that's not, that's not us. Yes, he tells us to repent, but he said, if we obey him, if we repent, if we rent our hearts and we get serious about this thing, God says, I will repent. Now, understand repentance. Somebody said, well, well God, if God changed his mind, then he made a mistake. no. God's repentance is based on my obedience. God says, if you do this and you, you obey me, I'm going to bless you. But he says, if you do this and you disobey me, I'm going to whoop you. So God has both his situations in mind. God wants to bless me, amen? So if I simply obey him, God blesses. But if I choose to disobey God's command, God repents. He says, I cannot bless you because of obedience because you've disobeyed me. So now I have to punish you. I told you I was going to punish you if you disobeyed. He hadn't changed his mind. We are the ones that made the wrong decision, and he's simply following through on his promise to punish us if we disobey him. So, yes, he repents, but not in a way like man repents because we have messed up. We've made a mistake. We have sinned. God never sinned. God never made a wrong choice, a wrong decision. We simply, his repentance is based on our decisions, what we do or do not do. Look at verse 14. I like this. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him? 
even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. This is hope, people. This is hope. He said, who knows? There's still time to repent. Trust him. Put your soul and life in his hand. Well, some people say, well, I, I, they, they kind of presume on the Lord. I know God says don't do this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway, and God's going to forgive me. Wait a minute. It says, who knows? God doesn't have to. God doesn't have to forgive you. God has forgiven you how many times? And there are deadlines in the scripture, and that's why he says there's coming a point in the day of the Lord and it's all over, and man cannot and will not change their mind. Remember Josiah? Listen to what God said about Josiah, 2 Chronicles 34, 27. Because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me. And didst rend thy clothes and weep before me. I have heard, even heard thee also, saith the Lord. God said, because your, you, your heart was tender, because you, you rent your garments, you, you, you fasted, you prayed, you sought the Lord, you made the decision, I'm going to do what's right. God said, I heard it. I saw it. And God blessed him. The more we put off repentance, the harder our heart becomes. You say, oh, surely not. Jeremiah 6, 15. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay. They were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. They could not. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall, and at the time that I visit them shall be cast down, saith the Lord. When that ultimate day of the Lord comes, it's too late. When that rapture of the church comes and God takes us out to be with him in, in heaven, yes, we're there. But it's too late. The decisions are already made. If we're not right with God when we go, we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of that that we've done in the body, whether it be good or bad. This is not a, not, not a game. And so we have to be ready. We have to repent. We have to turn to God. Because if we do, he's promised to bless us. He's promised to repent. He, if we go our way, we get what we ask for. Kind of like elections, amen. He said, return. Can you imagine a life without God? They de he departed from them. That's why they were away from God. And so are many people in this world. Call themselves Christians. They're away from God. And he says, that life without God has got to be so miserable and so lonely. He said, repent. God's repentance depends on my response to his command. It's all in his hands. And they, Judah, 
was supposed to fall on their face and plead and cry out to Almighty God. He said, if you do, he said, I'll leave you a blessing. He's going to restore. He said, I'm going to give you a meat and drink offering. Boy, God's going to bless us now. Wait a minute. What did he say? He said, the reason for that, he said, he'll leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. The purpose of God blessing man is not for our comfort. It's not for our joy, although we get joy out of it and we get comfort out of it. The reason that God blesses man is so that we can serve and offer it back to him. That's why if anybody does not tithe, they're not getting it. They just don't understand who God is. He said, prove me. See if I'll what? Pour you out of what? Blessing. We're not acknowledging who God is. We are, we're, it's all about us. It's all about me. And if we have some left over for God, well, then he can have that. No, no. God gets the first. And that's what the tithe is trying to teach us. Notice, he says in verse 15, blow you the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast and call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation, the assembly of the elders. Gather the children, those that are sucking on the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. He commands us over and over and over in this verse. He said, sound the warning. The warning would come from the priest as they'd get out there and they'd blow their horns for a solemn assembly. From the watchman, they'd blow their horns when they saw the enemy coming to warn the people. The, the light on your, on your vehicle's going off and it says, check your engine. And God's saying, check your heart. Sanctify. That's a dirty word in Baptist circles. Sanctify. That is the word hagios in the Greek. It means to separate yourself. When, we're, when we get saved, we are hagios. We are separated, separated unto God and placed in his family. He said, call a fast. Sacrifice. John said, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. We, we have to show God what is in our heart. The call, he says, call out, cry out for a special meeting. If, if, the, if God, and, and, and this is why you need to pray for your pastor, because he's praying to God, should I do this? Should I do this? That's why things are changing every once in a while. And that's why he said, well, we need to have a revival meeting here. And we need to have this preacher over here. Wait a minute. Who leads him? God. So if God has led him to have a revival meeting, what's he telling us? 
I need revival. And half a church don't show. You can see the heart of people. Now, thank God when, when something's going on here, you folks are here. I thank God for it. But listen, he says, call. It's a serious thing. Cry out. Gather the people together. Everybody, not just a few, everybody must humble themselves in sorrow. When's the last time you got on your knees in prayer or sat in your chair or wherever you're at? And when you're spending time with God and he breaks your heart, do, do, do you even weep anymore? Does it bother you that you have sinned? I mean so much. God says mourn. It should disturb us greatly. Well, well, somebody might say, well, I don't think this is God. It's just a coincidence. We're holy. We're doing okay. You know who said that? Korah. When God told Israel they were supposed to dress different. And because they didn't want to, they said, we're holy. We're all holy. You're not the only one. You don't, you're not the only one who hears from God. And you know what happened, Korah. These are serious times. Somebody said, well, you know, this is just going a little too far. You're, you're crazy. You're a fanatic. Well, yes, I am. So is God. Sanctify a fast. Sanctify the congregation. He says, separate yourselves. Before they could ever go over the River Jordan, they were first days they were supposed to sanctify themselves. What did he say? He said, I want you to take all your clothes and I want you to wash them. Just across a river? He said, and I don't want you to come to your wives and all you married folks know what I'm talking about. He said, I don't want you to do that. He said, oh, you are a fanatic. You are going too far. God is serious about this stuff. He said to Mount Sinai, he said, even if somebody even put their foot on the side of that mountain, they were dead. God says, this guy's out here and he's picking up sticks on the Sabbath day so he can make a fire and eat. And God said, kill him without mercy. We don't know God like we think we do. If we did we would see sin in a whole different manner. He's, he's basically saying no one's exempt. Elders, children, babies. See, our, our sin affects our children. He said, we're the cause of all this, and we affect our kids. Everyone must share in this humiliation of getting right with God. No one's exempt because of circumstances. Normally somebody that was getting married or just got married, they were exempt from everything for a year. God said, no one's exempt. He said, even when they just got married and they're, they're in their, their, oh, I can't remember what they called the house, but that, that's where they sealed the marriage. 
And God said, bring them out. Nobody is exempt. Not one of these kids. Moms, dads, grandma, and grandpas. Not one of us are exempt. It's really serious stuff. God wants genuine repentance. Next week is something totally different, and it is so uplifting. He's been, he's been bringing the hammer down on us, hasn't he? But he's going to lift us in such a way next week. But in the meantime, would you think about this repentance? Would you let God change your life? If you're living in fear, quit, quit living in fear. Start trusting him. If you're living in pride, cast your pride down and bow before him. If you're living for the world, get rid of the world and start living for him. Understanding that everything you've got, everything I've got is his and is given to me for the purpose of serving him. We've looked at things all wrong. Judah would look looking at things all wrong. And God gives this to us for an example that we might follow in their steps. Father in heaven, Lord, you, you make things so plain and so clear. I pray, God, that you might speak to each one of our hearts. Lord, that we might not wait for a tragic situation to get right or think about getting right. Lord, we might get right even right now. Tonight. In our hearts, and we know what's there, that we might come and confess to you that you might change our hearts and lives, that we'll be ready, that if you come tonight, Lord, We'll be with you and we'll be able to stand before your throne as you say, well done, now good and faithful servant. Father, have your way in each heart, each life tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor.